When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. One more segment on this episode, and it's going to be a live mailbag. Got a couple comments and questions started already. We're going to be throwing them up here and talking about them. I'm on schedule. I'm, I'm pretty close to being on schedule here for the first time. This might be one of our one of the first sub 90 minute podcasts. Uh, and I don't know if anyone cares how long the podcast is, but the funny thing is the goal going in is three 15 minute segments. And almost always we go double that and we end up with these hour and a half long podcasts, which I don't know. I don't know if anyone, if it, I don't think it's too much content. I think everyone's just sitting in their car listening or whatever, but if, uh, if you have any comments, feedback, whatever, you can also hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. DMs are open. It's at Jeff underscore Nowak, and we'll be getting into it. But first question here, Bearded Dragon says, will Kubiak have a voice in who replaces Curry and the offensive staff? And and, and the simple answer to that question is yes. So, of, of course, he will. I don't think, you know, it, it's an d- interesting dynamic when you're talking about defensive head coach, offensive coordinator, and it's similar to back when Sean was here and you had Dennis Allen and you were hiring defensive coaches and he was always going to be in that in that discussion. One thing that's interesting, we played the uh, clip of Derek Carr on the 2Gs in a Pod podcast last episode. And one of the questions he was asked that we didn't really get into was whether, you know, his kind of role in the offensive coordinator search and you know, Mickey had an interesting comment uh, in his post in his end of season presser. He said, "Well, we don't ask players to make staffing decisions or make determinations." But Derek did say that there were a lot of conversations that he had, primarily with Dennis Allen, uh, on you know what what he thought and how he wanted to see that situation develop. So, you know, I, I do think that Derek's input was a part of what led them to Clint Kubiak in the first place. This isn't really answering your question, but I think it's an interesting dynamic. Now, secondarily, yes, of course, Clint is going to have a big say in the running backs coach, wide receivers coach, quarterbacks coach, offensive line coach, and whatever positions down the line. You know, a guy like DJ Williams, do you 
potentially promote him. You know, I think it's interesting. You haven't moved on from any of these assistants yet. Jari Evans, right? Like I know that Dennis Allen, I know the organization really loves Jari Evans and I think they should want to keep him around. And I think that's where the question becomes how much autonomy did you promise Clint in taking the role? Did you promise him full autonomy? Did you promise him, hey, if you want a guy, we are going to hire him, no questions asked. I doubt that's the case. So I think that there is going to be a process. And one of the reasons this is going to take a little bit longer than people probably want is you're not going to start that process really until Clint is in the building and able to sit in on these conversations and these interviews and whatever. That doesn't stop you from getting a short list. I'm sure what's going to happen now in the process now, you're going to get a short list of guys from Clint and the organization is going to come up with some names and you're going to kind of meld those together, talk through them, interview some people for each candidate, for each position, and you're going to move on from there. But it's at the end of the day, it's got to be someone Clint trusts and someone Clint who understands the offense that he is trying to bring in. Because you're not, I don't think this organization, and, and one, of the, one of the critiques of Dennis Allen, one of the things that Dennis, I think, has struggled with at points in his head coaching career is being a micromanager. And I think that's universally a bad thing for a head coach in, in any role, whether you're an offensive head coach, whether you're a special teams head coach, whether you're whatever. Micromanaging and not allowing the people you've empowered to do their jobs to do their jobs um, is just a bad thing. And it's, and it's, you know, you don't need that. You don't have to have that to be successful, but you do have to have a healthy ecosystem of coaches. And, and the funny thing, you're looking at it now and you're saying, okay, you have now removed all signs that Sean Payton was ever here other than Dennis Allen, really. Um, and you do that because you want to get his guys in there. But I would argue that if that was the plan from the beginning, I would have hired anybody else. I would have hired somebody else because I don't, I don't need to go with the Dennis Allen system to change things. I don't, you know, I, I, if the idea was we don't want to lose Dennis Allen as the defensive coordinator, that's not a good reason to make him a head coach. Anyway, it, it's, it all goes back to this idea that, you know, we started with this, with this plan and that was what was sold was this plan of continuity and whatever. And we have now in 2024, year three, arrived at a completely different approach. And it's not because things went well, it's because things failed. So it's, you doubled down on this twice now. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it's at the end of the day, it's not, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I was okay with them sticking with Dennis Allen is because this was kind of the plan, right? Like you never, you don't hire a head coach and say, okay, you only have two years and then we're going to, uh, you know, unless things are, unless you're, you're blowing people out every week in, week out, we're firing you. Now there's always a plan and there's a baseline of the, the results you're willing to accept to stay with that plan. And I think at what, whatever you want to say about it, seven and 10 and nine and eight is above that baseline. Now cracks started to show and, and that's where, you know, these coaching hires are important. You got to get them right because you hired Cody Burns, like one of the the firings, you know, we could talk about the Sean Payton of it all and not, and trying to get away from the Sean Payton influence to some extent, not necessarily get away from it, but not rely so heavily on it. Cody Burns was a guy that DA brought in. Cody Burns was a guy that was hired last year. Bob Bicknell was a guy who was hired last year. So these, Doug Marone was a guy who was hired last year. So these, these firings are not universally guys who were here prior to DA. Several of these firings are guys that he brought in. So what does that tell you? And I, so I don't know. I I hope 
I hope that the majority of these decisions are being made with as little interference as possible from the head coach position because I just don't think that there's a track record of success there <laughs> in, in terms of how you've built out this staff in the first place. So, you know, that's a long roundabout way to get to that. But uh, yes, I think Clint Kubiak is going to be the voice in who replaces um, replaces those guys. Yellow Nose here says, can't be mad at all. And also says all the positions that performed subpar on the offensive side in terms of the firings. And yeah, yeah you know, I, I think the offensive line is an interesting one because I do think scheme had a lot to do with it. And a lack of development to me was the bigger issue than the, the a subpar performance, right? Like I can't endorse a coach who has failed to draw any year over year improvement from your first round pick. You can't. And you decide that and you go and you find someone who can, who can build out that plan. But, you know, I don't think the wide receivers underperformed. I think that room just came apart at the seams to an extent. And a lot of that was Michael Thomas, right? And I think Cody kind of lost control of that room and it became a distraction, you know? And, and as you kind of pull things together late in the year, I think you saw some really good performances, but I don't think that that firing was about performance, right? Now the running backs coach, We'll never know whether they would have fired Joel Thomas, but it's. I think you you allow a guy to leave for a lateral position. He sees the writing on the wall. He moves on. So yeah, I think that that has something to do with performance. And then you have, well, you have the tight ends coach. He's probably sticking around, and that was a position that you could argue underperformed to some extent. I think it's a lot about injuries and whatnot. So you know, and, and then obviously the quarterbacks coach. And I don't think that's necessarily about the player underperforming. I think it's about you want to bring somebody in and and kind of move forward as you can there. And and again, you tried to give Ronald Curry the wide receivers coach job. So clearly it wasn't something to do with like, man, this guy's not getting the job done. But yeah, I mean, I don't I think it was just inconsistency in both the performance, the execution, and the plan and how you were doing things. And it and it's just felt so often throughout the year from a game plan perspective, you were just trying whatever you could, you know, I don't feel like there was ever really a developed plan. I don't think you were ever catching anyone off guard with your schemes. I don't think you were ever doing anything that was, that was difficult to defend late in the year. You were, you were executing at a higher level, but I still don't think that this was a scheme that anyone will like hang in the Louvre and be like, ah, this was the, this was it. This is what I needed. So we'll see. Rainy. This is the offensive line coach for the Bucks. I wanted it for our team. So Kevin Carberry, that's, you know, I, I expected the uh, the Bucks to look at the Saints staff. I did. And I expected Ronald Curry to be the guy that they really took a long look at. Instead, it was Kevin Carberry. And, you know, I think the, the way the Saints have set things up over the last several years is, you know, Doug Marone works with the veteran players and the assistant offensive line coaches work with the younger players. Jari Evans obviously is an interior line guy, so I'm sure he spent more time with the young interior linemen and Kevin Carberry most likely with the tackles. And so, you know, I'm I'm okay with him leaving. I think you were probably going to move on from Kevin too. Um, well, we don't know because it's not a it's a promotion as we've talked about, so the Saints couldn't have blocked it even if even if they wanted to. But 
you know, it, it's at the end of the day, that's, that's where we're at with it. it <laughs> there's the, 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 the NFC South now, and you look at the coaching ranks and the coaching, <laughs> coaching divisions and, you know, Raheem Morris, Zach Robinson, that, that system is going to change, you know, uh, you know, with the Bucks, you have, you have a new offensive coordinator with the Panthers, you have Dave Canales and, and that system's going to change. There's going to be a lot of moving parts in the NFC South, and there's going to be a lot of a lot of questions. You know, one thing that I that I find interesting, and this isn't really the question, but you know, you look at Todd Bowles and Dennis Allen, and everyone talks about Todd Bowles as if he's a success in what he's done, and everyone talks in, about Dennis Allen as if he's a failure in what he has done, and the interesting thing to me is how close they are and how similar they are in terms of what have, what has been accomplished, right? Both guys, you know, showed up in the late two, 2017. I think Dennis Allen was like 2016. Todd Bowles took over as the defensive coordinator in 2020, 2019. I, I can't recall exactly, but you know, these are both guys who had a head coaching stint prior to this and failed in that head coaching stint. Todd Bowles was with the Jets. Dennis Allen was with the Raiders. Todd Bowles had a slightly better record, but there was still a bad record, right? I think what's what helped Todd Bowles in the overall record is that his first year as a head coach with the Jets, they won 10 games and went to the playoffs. And then he fell off a cliff each of the next three seasons and ended up essentially where Dennis Allen was. Dennis Allen just never had that one successful season that got him an extra year. And I've talked about this before, a lot of this is three-year cycles when you're talking about head coaches. Like if you're looking at a guy who got fired, look at what's happened in the last three years. Has it gotten worse? Has the record gotten worse or, or have things become stale? And that's the point where you fire a guy. You never, the most, you know, there's very few examples in NFL history of guys getting fired, improving year over year. Now, if you improve from one win to five wins, that's not exactly a huge improvement. So you could make that justification. I think Joe Judge is an example of a guy who maybe improved year over year and got fired, but he still ended up with five wins that final season. But you look at look at Todd Bowles. So both of these guys showed up after failing as a head coach, as a defensive coordinator, was, a de- was an NFC South defensive coordinator. Both guys had one deep postseason run. Dennis Allen's team was 2018. They went to the NFC Championship, obviously. They didn't get to the Super Bowl, but you feel like they should have gotten to the Super Bowl if you know there wasn't the worst missed call in history. So I'm holding that up similarly to the Bucs in 2020. They got to the Super Bowl, and that was kind of the one deep run. They made the playoffs every year, basically, but it was, generally speaking, not a success story. Then the Saints got to the divisional round of the playoffs in 2020. They made it to the playoffs in 2019. They made it to the division round in 2017 as well. You can compare that to what the Bucs have done. Now, you look at it, both defensive coordinators. Uh, you know, you have these Hall of Fame first ballot, all-time great quarterbacks on their last legs. Sean Payton quits. Dennis Allen takes over. Brian Polian, whatever you want to call it, got trans. Uh, not Brian Polian. I'm sorry, Bruce Arians, got transitioned into a front office role. And Todd Bowles takes over. Now, the only real difference here is that Todd Bowles has two division titles. They have gone 18 and 17 and 17 over those two seasons. The Saints have gone 16 and 18 over those two seasons. Like we talk about Todd Bowles again, we talk about Todd Bowles as if it's this great success story. They went eight and nine with Tom Brady. 
You're telling me that if Dennis Allen had Drew Brees in his first year, the Saints are going 7-10? and 10? No. Drew Brees is carrying that team kicking and screaming to, to, to the playoffs in some way, whether it's 9-8, and 10-7. They're getting there. But we look at that one season and we ignore like, oh, the Bucs had a losing record and won the division with Tom Brady. Is that really a success story? This year they go out and go 9-8, and eight, win the division again. <laughs> and, and they're like, oh, man, they, they won obviously a playoff game against the Eagles. Probably the best example of a team quitting on its head coach despite a successful season that you'll see. And, and Nick Sirianna still kept that job. So it's interesting. But I just think like Dennis Allen and Todd Bowles are the same person in so many ways. I think that Todd Bowles is probably a little more charismatic. That helps. But then, you know, you look at you look at Raheem Morris, right? You look at a guy, he obviously arrived in Atlanta in a different way, but he's another guy who failed in his first stint as a head coach. And that was with the Bucs. It was a while ago. It was it was bef- long before Dennis Allen was head coach of the Raiders. Um, so you have currently three de- defense first head coaches in the NFC South. Obviously, Raheem Morris has experience on both sides of the ball, but he's still a defense first head coach. Uh, you know, in terms of he's coming from a defensive coordinator job. So you have three defense first head coaches and three guys in their second head coaching stint who failed miserably uh, in their first uh, in their first spot stop. So I don't know. I, I think it's 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 funny to look around the NFC South and see all of these, you know, second chances <laughs> playing out in real time and how one different one win, one game is the difference between what Todd Bowles has done and what Dennis Allen has done. And that game is the one the Saints led 16 to nothing with like, what, four minutes left to play and lost. Um, if the Saints don't blow that lead, then both guys are seven, 17 and 17 over two seasons and have split the NFC South. And we're still having the same conversation about uh, Dennis Allen, but I'm not sure we're having the same conversation about Todd Bowles. So... I don't know. Do with that information what you will. But I do think that, you know, this is going to be maybe not a deciding season for Dennis Allen in the sense that if it goes a certain way, you stick with him and still don't feel like, okay, well, he's done everything I need to see. But like, for example, you win 10 games, you win the you win the NFC South, you lose in the first round. You're still going to be like, yeah, are we doing this again? And we're probably going to be having the same conversation at that point. So we will see. But all right. I'm going to wrap up this episode of Inside Black and Gold. Thanks for everyone who hung out, everyone who dropped in a comment. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. And you can check out all the latest news, notes, and analysis at WWL.com. If you're looking for more of this, Steve Geller and myself will be hosting Sports Talk. I think it's 4 to 6 p.m. on Friday. It's a short show. But if you want to call in, have your say, uh, make sure to do that. 504-260-1870. Yeah, we use old school telephone numbers in uh, in this business. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, who listened. Who dat? Go Saints. 